Well, this morning is going to be a second part of the series that we started last week on the church. If you remember last week, I, I spoke about the Great Commission. That as God moved in power to establish his church, he commissioned us as his people to go out and to make disciples. And, and today we're going to delay, take a look at the power to do it. Now, I, I've asked my good friend, Pastor Bill Foote, to come and preach today. And so, you know, I, I've known Bill now for over 23 years. I, I think the first time Bill and I really kind of connected is Bill was the missions pastor at Pacific Hills Church for a number of years. And, and my wife, Karen, and I were having our 10th anniversary, and we wanted to rededicate our vows together. And we asked Bill to do that ceremony. And we got to know him then. And then two, about two years later, God called Bill and his wife, Carrie, onto the mission field in England to plant a church. And then God moved on our hearts, Karen and mine, to go and help Bill about a year later. Bill was the first person to actually speak into my life about teaching. He said, you know, brother, the message you just gave really wasn't that good, but I'm going to show you how to teach the Bible. So he began to help me. He was honest with me, and he helped me to begin to understand what it means to actually study the Bible and to preach the Bible. And he walked with me uh, about what it means to be a man of God and to just talk man to man and if you will, he discipled me, and, and we've become good friends. And then he came back with his wife after over 11 years on the mission field, and, and he came to this church, and they served in this church. And then we as a church helped them plant a church, which is now there in Portola Springs called Grace Springs Church. And Bill's been pastor there for the past number of years. And then also God laid on his heart a couple of years ago to, to start a ministry that really functions in three areas, and it's called Grace OC Missions, Grace OC Missions. And in that, God started to move on his heart to reach out to the homeless and to help the homeless, and not only that, to help out those women that are trapped in, in, in the sex trade, as well as going out and witnessing to many on the streets, and so God has moved him that way as well. So Bill understands what it means to, to walk in the power of the Spirit. And so I, I thought it'd be, he'd be a good one to preach on that. So Bill, why don't you come up here? Why don't you give him a hand? I want to pray for Bill and the Word. Father, I thank you for allowing Bill and I to become friends many years ago. I thank you, Father, how you've worked in his life, how you've opened up all these doors now for Grace OC missions. And, and I pray, Father, right now for the Word of God, that you would speak to us, Lord. Thank you for your grace and goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Is that on now? Oh, got it. Okay, good. Okay, a couple name corrections. Grace Springs Bible Church and Grace Missions OC. Oh, and also a correction. That first study you gave, life-changing, dude. <laughs> uh, I wasn't as brutal with him as he makes it out, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, I was. <laughs> well, you deserved it. <laughs> anyway, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about Grace Missions OC, then we're going to do a Bible study, so I'll keep this real short. As Rob said, Grace Missions OC is uh, locked on to three different needs around us. First one is homeless. As you know, the homeless crisis in Orange County is escalating. There's probably 5,000 homeless now, they estimate, 
in Orange County, and one of the fastest growing aspects is the working homeless, because it's so expensive here that there are many who are working 40 hours a week but can't afford a place. So what we do is we go out every week, and we just find them. We'll go out, we'll go down into the camps that are down in the woods and all that, and we'll find the homeless here or meet them on the streets, and we'll go up and introduce ourselves and tell us that we have resources available to them. We have a place where they can go get food and clothing and uh, all those kind of things, or we'll buy them a dinner and we'll tell them about Jesus Christ and we'll invite them to a Bible study that happens every two, every two Tuesdays every second Tuesday at Second Impressions. And so we're seeing that grow. We're seeing the Bible study grow. And uh, what's great about it is we're, our relationships with the homeless are just growing. And they're trusting us now. They didn't trust us at first. They thought, one guy said, I don't, I don't like you at all. It's like, thanks. Um, he said, I thought you were a goody two-shoe. So, you know, that came out once and then get your picture taken or whatever, and then you leave, you know, typical religious but he said, after I saw you come back again and again and again, he says, I trust you now. I like you. And so we're getting, the homeless is starting to trust us. And we, I love that. I love these individuals, how honest they are. Love to just sit and talk with them. Maybe we're out helping them. We also um, are involved with the human trafficking uh, around us. And there's a lot of different kind of trafficking. There's labor trafficking. But the ones we're getting involved with more is the sex trafficking. And the problem of modern slavery is immense. There's 46 million slaves around the world right now, they estimate. Uh, we have no idea how bad the problem is with sex trafficking in the United States, but many say it's hundreds of thousands of slaves here. And it's not just from the Philippines and the Thailand. These are homegrown girls who have been taken off the streets or seduced from the streets and all that. And so we're getting more involved with this all the time. We go out on Friday nights into the gang areas of Santa Ana, and we'll go up, we'll approach the girls, and we'll talk to them and show them there is hope, there's a way out, we can get them into a safe home. And we've seen just a couple months ago, we saw a couple girls rescued. And so uh, we're out there on the streets doing that. We're getting more involved all the time. We're involved now, getting more involved in a beach boulevard in, Anah in Anaheim. There's another place there. They're called Tracks, and so we're getting involved there. But I just want to quickly say what the vision of this ministry is, and it's really expanding. I can't believe it. We just felt the Lord was telling us to do this, get involved in these things. Then we got to the spectrum of witness, witnessing to a lot of Muslims who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're the first one to tell them the gospel, which amazes me, right here in Irvine. Or not, well, you're not in Irvine, but we are when we're in the spectrum. I don't even know where you guys are. Um, Mission Bayo, right? There it is. Um, let me tell you the, the bigger vision we have. And the reason why we see this need is there's a deficiency in what, what we're doing is really good and going out on the streets to rescue a girl. I'm talking mainly about trafficking now. To go out and rescue a girl is awesome. And I love that. I love being on the front lines like that. But there's a deficiency there. And the deficiency is this, is that so few girls actually get rescued. I mean, for the ones, it is worth it for the ones who do, that's for sure. And I will be out there all the time because it's worth it. But because so few girls get rescued, and when they get rescued, so many of them return back to the life. We started thinking this through and thought, well, then, if that's the case, we've got to get out in front of this thing to where we can stop the girls from ever getting out there. And we thought the way to do that is through education and prevention. 
We need to make people aware of the dangers. We need to make the church aware of the dangers. You know, because there are recruiters, with your kids in high school, there are recruiters around here in every high school. Every time your kid goes online, they think there's, they've estimated 750,000 predators online who are well-trained in how to get children to start talking with them, and then it kind of increases. They're masters at deception, masters at emotional manipulation. They're in the malls, they're in the parks. And I don't say this to make everybody so paranoid that you don't want to go outside your house, but I do want to say this because you need to be prepared, and your children need to be prepared. They need to know how these pimps do what they do, how they seduce a kid. You know, there's a gorilla pimp, CEO pimp, and Romeo pimp. And I don't have time to tell you how each one of those do what they do. We'll do this as we educate. We'll educate the parents. This is what you look for. This is what you look for with your 13-year-old when she comes home and she's rocking new clothes and new technology. And why is that? You know, well, I just borrowed it from my friends. Are you sure? Because that's one of the ways they groom. You know when the average age for going into the life is? These girls start getting groomed? 13. And you know, you Christians who say that could never happen to my kid because they're a Christian kid, I know a girl who was trafficked out of a church. And so we have got to get out. We've got to tell people what's going on here. We have to prepare them. Ignorance is the pimp's best friend. Because as long as you think it can't happen here, as long as you think that's a Thailand problem and a Philippines problem and maybe a kid who lives somewhere else but Orange County problem, the pimps are going, yeah, you just keep thinking like that. Listen, people used to think, I've heard people tell me, you know, it's not a problem in Mission Viejo or Lake Forest. There used to be a place called Backpage. Backpage is where they uh, advertised the girls. And I could show you within a a one-minute search that there was 20 girls right around here that you could be at within 10 minutes or they could be with you. They closed down Backpage. Praise God, the FBI did that. You know, it's interesting. They closed down Backpage, and the very next Friday out on the streets, the girls were double. All they did was move them to the streets. So we need to educate. We need to get parents. Let them know what is going on. Let them know what to look out for. Look for the dangers out there. We need to get to the kids and say, listen, this is the way they work. Watch out for this. So important, isn't it? I remember when I was a kid, I was going to elementary school. I was probably seven or eight years old. And the school said, never get into a car with a stranger. I listened to that. You know what? Two days later, I was walking home from school, and there was somebody in a car, and they asked me, do you need a ride home? You know what? If I hadn't have been prepared, who knows? You know what? I said, no, because I had just heard about that. I don't know where I would have been if I'd have even been here if I got into that car. And so that's our vision. Here's how we're going to do it. We want to do it through conferences. We want, listen, we're going to have a conference here in February. Rob has okayed that. What we're going to do is I've got some speakers that are amazing lined up for all this. And so we're going to educate. Get your friends and come here. I mean, get your parents, your grandkids. Get your, I mean, get them out here because we want to tell them what's going on. We're going to take this, these conferences all over the place. Also, here's the thing I'm really excited about. It's videos for YouTube and Facebook. And so... 
we want to put up at least one interview a month. I've got all these people who want to be interviewed, who are willing to be interviewed. If we can get the equipment, if we can get the cameras and the help and all that. I've got a girl who was trafficked at an early age, then became a trafficker, and then got saved. Can you imagine sitting with her and saying, what would you tell a 13-year-old girl sitting at the table with you right now what to watch out for? How were you trafficked? How were you seduced? What would you tell their parents? I've got another contact where an L.A. pastor works with ex-pimps in L.A. And we're trying to get him to get the pimps there to come and sit with us, talk to us, be interviewed to where we could say the same thing. How did you seduce girls? Where did you go? What were you looking for? They looked for certain kind of girls. And it's not always the pretty ones. It's the one who have low self-esteem, who look down when they say, you're pretty. They go, I got that one. The one who just says, thank you, and walks off, they go, don't have a chance. They know how to manipulate the ones with low self-esteem. So we can ask that pimp, how did you do that? Who were you looking for? What should kids look out for? Listen, if a cat video can get a million views... Why can't we do this for something that matters? So that's what we're trying to do. Rob's going to talk to you about how to support us. I don't want to get into that. We do need camera equipment. We need all this stuff. We got a huge vision. And I'm so excited about it. It is so much bigger than me. I'm going to still be out on the streets and I'm still going to be doing all that stuff. I love that stuff. My wife thinks I'm addicted to adrenaline and maybe. But you know, so we're going to still be doing all that. But I just think what we can do with a video that's out there, new video every month, could be amazing, couldn't it? So I'm just asking you guys to help me. That's all. I also want you to pray for me. Pray for wisdom because this is this vision that I thought was a little tiny thing is now so huge. It's kind of Lord, thanks, Lord, help kind of deal. So pray for wisdom and just pray how you can help and maybe volunteer, you know, do you know IT, do you know social networking, how to do the social media website, all the, you know, we need administrative and all this. We're going to need help at every level. And so uh, we're just putting that out. Well, anyway, go over to Ephesians 5.18. That's, that's me in that ministry. But guys, at least Pray. Some support through finances, some get involved physically. But you know what really matters is prayer. Nothing happens without prayer. And so I'm asking you all, you all to at least pray for this and pray that it leads people to Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.18. Oh, I didn't pray, did I? <laughs> Probably told you pray before you teach, didn't I? <laughs> all right, let's pray. Father, I thank you that I can be here. I thank you for this church and how much I love the people here. And Lord, like I said, the first service, this is like a second home for me. And so, Father, thank you for this opportunity to be with my friends, to see them again. But Lord, uh, what is important right now is that we are impacted by your word, by your truth. And Lord, if you don't get involved in this, that's just not going to happen. And so, Father, I pray that you would help me in the words I speak, link them to your power, but also, Lord, I pray that you will give understanding for those who are listening. And Lord, I just thank you. I thank you so much for your truth, how life-changing, how amazing it is. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 5.18. 
And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, as I look around at the Christian body today, I see a whole lot of frustrated believers. Good, sincere individuals who see what the Bible seems to be promising. Promises joy inexpressible and filled with glory, peace that passes understanding, the abundant life, drinking from the river of God's delights, rest and satisfaction. And we think about all that and we think, yes, please, bring it on. Yet, if they're honest, their experience doesn't seem to live up to the hype. Their experience can be described more as a kind of chronic spiritual fatigue. They think, maybe if I try harder, something will eventually click, and so they ratchet up the discipline. I'll get up a little bit earlier. I'll pray a little bit more. But the problem, does, the problem is, it's done in their own power. And so eventually it fades, like it always does. They're like the good old boy. I don't know if you've heard this story or not, but the good old boy who bought his first chainsaw, he took it home, and the next day he brought it back, and he said, you know what, this thing is absolutely useless. I'm cutting less wood than I was before with the old handsaw. And the salesman said, that's odd. That's our best model. And so the salesman takes the cord and pulls it and vroom. And the good old boy says, what's that sound? All that power was available, but he wasn't benefiting from it at all. He was still sawing in his own strength and it was just wearing him out. And that's the Christian life in our own strength. It just wears us out. God has a better life for you, brothers and sisters, but you're going to need some help. You're going to need his power. But fortunately, he has placed his spirit in us as the helper and as the enabler. Through his strength, our life can start matching up with the life we see in the Bible with those incredible promises. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in John 7, 37 through 39. He says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit. They were so used to drinking old well water. It was stagnant and it was unappealing. And Jesus was promising this water that was pure and refreshing. And I think that is an incredible picture of the life right, that we can live. We can live life in our own strength and it is stagnant. It's unappealing. It's tedious and it's boring. But the life lived in the strength of the Spirit is alive and fresh and it has the touch of God on it. So we're going to look at being filled with the Spirit. We're going to start by looking at why we need to be filled with the Spirit, and then we'll move on to the purpose of being filled with the Spirit, and then the definition, what it actually is, and then our responsibility, and then finally the results. So why we need to be filled with the Spirit. We've got three reasons. First one is because the standards of Christianity are beyond us. True Christianity is impossible for, for us to live out in our own strength. The ability to love when you've been abused, to do good to those who have wronged you, to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you, to choose joy in times of trial and thankfulness in all circumstances, to consistently be patient, kind, and gentle with others, and on and on. 
Listen, true Christianity calls us to a life that is far beyond our ability to live it. Now here's the danger. The danger is rather than tap into the strength we need through the Spirit, we simply reduce Christianity down to something we can live out in our own strength. We settle for something that looks more like religion than an intimate relationship. Religion is man working out their spirituality in their own strength, isn't it? Relationship or Christianity is God's work for man and God's work in man, giving the strength so that we can live out what he's called us to do. But we can just settle in, we can just do our best, and instead of the amazing adventure Christianity is meant to be, we are left with a stunted, shriveled sort of thing that's not appealing to us or anybody else. But that is the result of Christianity in our own strength. And listen, Christianity in our own strength is no bigger than us. You know what I mean? I mean, we limit it to what we can do, to what our strength can produce. Therefore, we, live, we lose the thrill of being taken by God beyond ourselves to live in a way where we're constantly saying, that was God that did that. That's not me, that's him. But that's living in his strength, isn't it? So you need this power to live the Christian life out because Christianity is beyond mere human strength. Secondly, because the enemy that stands against us is too great. Listen to these words, Ephesians 6, 12. This is who you wrestle with. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Wow! We have an enemy who is determined to thwart any spiritual progress in our life. We have an enemy who relentlessly stalks us, waiting for that moment to trip us up, distract us, or frustrate us. An enemy that is far greater than we are. To win this war, we are going to have to learn to fight in another's power. But that's what God said. God said, learn to fight in my power. This is what I'm offering you. I'm offering you the power to fight and have victory. Now what he said in 2 Chronicles 20, 15. And he said, listen all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Amen. The battle is the Lord's. He said, I'll give you the power. I'll give you the victory. That's what happens when we're filled with the Spirit. That's where we're going in this. So because the standards are so high, because the enemy is so strong, Third thing, last thing, because the flesh that resides in us is so persistent. Paul said in Romans 7, 21, very interesting thing. He says, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. We carry around this unredeemed flesh that still hates God and holiness and still loves sin. And Paul says, did you notice what he said there? Every time I want to do good, this flesh rises up and opposes it. Therefore, now please get this, that is why it's hard to go to church consistently. That is why it's hard to read your Bible, pray, and fellowship consistently. Because every time you want to do those things, the flesh rises up and opposes that good. That's why this thing is a struggle. That's why this thing is warfare. 
And for you to overcome your own flesh, the only way you're going to do that and grow and be consistent in these things you must be consistent in to be healthy spiritually, that's going to take the power of the Spirit, isn't it? Listen to Romans 8, 12 through 13. Paul says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Here it is. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It is going to take the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body that wants to hold you down and keep you lukewarm and apathetic and indifferent. So because of the lofty standard, because of the powerful enemies without and the powerful enemy within, we need the Spirit, don't we? We need God's power. We need to walk in the same power Jesus walked in. What did he walk in? What power? The Spirit. Luke 4.14, then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. So God has given us all we need to live the Christian life the way it should be lived. The Holy Spirit resides in us to enable us to do what we cannot do. But why is the Holy Spirit in us? Let's look at that. What is the purpose of all this? Let's look at that, the purpose of the Spirit-filled life. The Spirit-filled life has been defined in so many ways it can be confusing, can it? From extremely practical to extremely mystical and everything in between. From getting shivers, I know I'm filled with the Spirit, I got chills. Right? To falling down, to a whole church speaking in tongues at the same time. Listen, if you think that's true, look at 1 Corinthians 14.23. I'm not going to go there, but just read that in your own time. 1 Corinthians 14.23. Here's what I think the being filled with the Spirit is, and I think it is very practical. To put it simply, it is the Spirit empowering us to live a Christ-like life on earth. Romans 8.29 says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So in that divine enabling, the Spirit is moving you, compelling you towards Christ-likeness. He is giving you the victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil, so you can look more and more like Jesus Christ as you walk through this earth. So the primary purpose of being spirit-filled is to enable you to live like Christ. The primary way you will know that you are spirit-filled is that you will start seeing Christ's character formed in you. Again, it's not going to be a, a few minutes of having chills. It's deeper than that. It's more important than that. You will see the, the character of Christ being formed in you. Galatians 5, and 23 says this. This is the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are all the characteristics of Jesus Christ. And so that just makes sense, doesn't it? When the Spirit is filling you, He's going to produce the fruits of the Spirit. When He's producing the fruits of the Spirit, your life is going to look more and more like Jesus Christ, His character. Therefore, the primary place this happens is just not in church during worship, right? Listen, it's not that 20 minutes of, oh man, it was just, again, chills. We love chills, don't we? Listen, you're not in church 95% of the time. So it's not some 20-minute buzz that happens on Sunday. 
This is something that happens where? At home. At school where you go to. In the workplace. In your neighborhood. It's seen in your relationships. How you treat your spouse. All you men who think you're spirit-filled, can I ask your wife if you're like Christ around her? Uh-oh. It's how you parent your child. It's seen in how you represent our Lord when you're out in the world. The Spirit-filled life enables you to live Christianity out at street level in a day-to-day manner. So, we've seen why we need to be filled with the Spirit, because the standards of Christianity are too high for us to live out in our own strength. And because the enemy within and without are too strong and too persistent. We've seen what the primary purpose of being spirit-filled is. It's enabling us to live a Christ-like life. We've seen the evidence of being spirit-filled is not shivers, it's the fruit of the Spirit. You're changing slowly but surely. Christ-likeness, His character is being fashioned in you. Now let's finally see what the spirit-filled life is. Look at verse 18 again. Here we could say the spirit-filled life illustrated. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, why would Paul couple drunkenness with being Spirit-filled? That really interests me. Well, here's the key. To get drunk is more than just having a drink, right? It means to be under the control and domination of alcohol. We say it's being under alcohol's influence. Drunkenness, then, when you're at that point, affects everything about you, your decision, your will, and your emotions. Well, the comparison is this. Just as being drunk is more than just having a drink in you, to be filled with the Spirit is more than just having the Spirit in you. It means to be under the influence of the Spirit, right? Just as the drunkard is dominated and controlled by wine, The Spirit-filled believer is dominated and controlled by the Spirit, and everything is affected by that. The decisions, the will, the choices, the goals. That's why the New Living Translation puts it this way, Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. That's good, I like that. Now we see why one who has the Holy Spirit can live such an unexceptional Christian life. Because they're still in control. They're still the one who, ha- who is driving the whole thing. The Holy Spirit is not. We'll look at that in a minute. Let's see the expected response then, the application to this truth. We say our responsibility in being filled with the Spirit. First, you've got to yield yourself to Him. Romans 12.1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is the picture of the Old Testament sacrifice, totally consumed by the flames. We offer our bodies in a full surrender, what we see, where we go, what we say, what we do. It is primarily seen in a proper response to his word. Listen, it is simply getting the word out, reading it. The word is his book. He authored it. And then responding to the word properly. The Greek tense indicates it's a surrender that is a repeated event. A repeated event. 
It is, we could say, a moment-by-moment, day-by-day choice of surrender. Let's make this real simple. I had somebody at the table after last, last service say, you know, I'm not sure if I've surrendered. I don't know how to surrender. I don't know. You know what? I said, don't overthink this. Don't, oh, don't get complicated with this. You know what surrender to God is? It's one yes at a time. Reduce it down to a yes at a time. God told me to do this. I'm doing it. Yes, Lord. God said, don't do that. No, Lord. Make it one no at a time, too. Right? Just reduce it down one choice at a time. You don't have to look at the next 25 years of your life. Just look at the next yes. Reduce it down to that kind of simplicity. That's a spirit-filled life. You're responding to him. But each choice is going to determine if you remain spirit-filled or not, isn't it? Because if you take control of your own life again, when he says yes and you say no, you are no longer controlled by him. You grieve the spirit and you begin to live life in your own power. And now you're back to that spiritual chronic fatigue. Tired, tedious, bored. So to be spirit-filled is a deliberate, moment-by-moment choice to hand ownership of life over to him. Now the tragic thing is, I may have lost some of you just there. You are interested in the spirit-filled life. I like it, Bill. Man, you are preaching. Dude, you're preaching. Bring it. Then you're like, did he just say surrender? Wait, what? Yield? Everything? You wanted something easy. You wanted something mystical. You wanted to come up with Pastor Rob here and say, you know what, lay your hands on me and pray one of them magic prayers where I'm filled with the Spirit and I go home and everything's different. You know what, I haven't seen a whole lot of magic prayers work in Christianity. What I see here is a choice, a deliberate, intentional choice to say yes to him, one yes at a time. Listen, when you don't, you trade in the abundant life Jesus came to give you, John 10.10, for a stagnant, shrunken, withered type of life. And I've lived on both sides of this. And I'm telling you, when you're not living controlled by the Spirit, when you're trying it in your own strength, I can't think of anything more miserable, anything more frustrating. So you've got to yield to him. Now the second requirement of being spirit-filled is you have to depend upon him. You yield to him and you depend upon him daily. Three things we can depend upon when it comes to the spirit. That the Holy Spirit lives within me. That the Holy Spirit has brought the life of Christ to me. And that the Holy Spirit is willing to produce the life of Christ through me. Holy Spirit lives in me. He brings the life of Christ to me. He is willing to produce the life of Christ through me. Look at how Paul put this. Galatians 2.20. Do we have time? Uh, I'll just read it. Galatians 2.20. says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Read that when you go home. Write Galatians 2.20 down. That's an amazing verse. What is Paul saying there? He's saying, Christ lives in me. Therefore, it's not me living the life anymore. He is living that life out through me, through the Spirit. 
That's amazing. And he says, the way I become a beneficiary of all that is by faith, by, be, by depending upon him to do just that on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. What is faith? Let's simplify it. Faith is simply believing that God will do as he promised. It is entering my day trusting the Spirit to live the life of Christ out through me. As I interact with co-workers, friends, family, neighbors, as I face trouble, trial, success, or failure. Listen, I need peace, I need love, I need gentleness, I need patience as I walk through my day. I trust the Spirit to live all of that out through me. I trust Him to live out Christ peace, Christ love, Christ gentleness, Christ patience, and whatever else I need. Listen, if I am yielded to Him, that flips the switch on. I, and when I depend upon Him for that power, that power flows into my life. So when you face things as you go through life that, that challenge you, that make you want to take back your own life, or you think, I can't do this, you've got to get quick at prayer. You've got to get quick at dependence, depending upon the Spirit. So let me give you the, kind of a sample prayer. This is kind of how I go through my day and how I look at different things. When things happen and I can't, I know it's beyond me, which everything is, Say, Lord, I can't handle the situation in my own strength, but you never expected me to. I thank you right now that you are in me and are willing to live your life out through me. I pray that through your spirit you will live out your victory over sin, your love towards others, your patience and kindness, your peace in times of trouble. I depend upon you. And then I step out to do what I know I should do, depending upon him depending upon him to meet me at that point of obedience with the power to do it. That's depending upon the Spirit. That's what Paul said. Galatians 2.20 again, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Again, this only happens for those who are in those who are Spirit-filled. If you're in control, he can't be. We settle that issue, right? I mean, there's not two wheels. It's not like driver ed when I was in high school where I had a wheel and the instructor had a wheel too. There's only one wheel. Either you're driving or God is. If you're driving, listen, you're not driving very well and you're running into a lot of things and, you know, turn the wheel over. Either he's in control or you are. Now, the picture of being filled with the Spirit, and this will only take a second. We're going to finish on time. The Greek word for filled was used for a sailboat with wind filling its sails. I love this. So that boat isn't striving or straining. It is being propelled forward by the wind. And that is what happens when we submit to the Spirit. We sense, we sense divine assistance. We are being propelled forward by His strength. We're no longer limited by our own strength. All of a sudden, it's, we're living beyond our own abilities. Those sins that defeated us now begin to lay at our feet. Those Christ-like characteristics, that fruit that we thought was too far beyond us, we're now starting to see it formed into our life. We start to see that we're changing. We start to respond to things differently. Have you ever had that where something happens in your life and you go, man, six months ago I would have freaked out, out of panic. Now I have peace and joy. I'm changing. I'm growing. 
That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's because you're living a Spirit-filled life. God will begin to use you because you're walking in the same power Jesus walked. And again, Luke 14, 4.14, then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. We start to soar in Christ. We lose that spiritual chronic disease, that fatigue, that boredom, that rut, that routine. Christianity becomes more and more an adventure as we walk daily with our Lord. Does that sound good? Yes. Every one of you should have said yes. <laughs> no, I won't. <laughs> it's going to make you say it again, but you know, like Marine Corps deal or something. <laughs> Let me just say this. Brothers and sisters, you have all the power you need, Right? Now tap into it. Some of you are trying to fill those sails with your own breath. You're trying to blow into the sails. You get wore out filling up a balloon. You think you're going to be able to drive your own life? Submit and depend. And you'll be amazed at what he can do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for being with my friends and family here. Thank you for this opportunity, uh, for being a part of this church again, the church I love so much. Lord, I do pray that you would move amongst us. Father, I pray that we wouldn't make the foolish choice of not surrendering. Lord, thinking that if we surrender, it's going to reduce our life, or you say it'll enhance our life. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be listening to the lie of the devil. Oh, God, grab our hearts. Draw them to you. Convince us, Lord, of your truth. Move amongst us. Convince us, Lord, that this is the only way to live the Christian life in a way that is appealing, that is exciting. So, Father, do your work amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, God bless you. Thank you.